Welcome to the Center Ranch Church Weekly Podcast. We believe that faith comes by hearing the Word of God. Thanks so much for checking out the podcast. Here's this week's message. Thank you so much for for being so good to us, Lord. I pray you come and speak to our hearts this morning. Lord, I pray you bless us with eyes to see, bless us with ears to hear. Holy Spirit, come and speak to our hearts. We look to you. You're our teacher. Father, bless us with a spirit of wisdom, a spirit of revelation. Flood our hearts with light so we can know you more, Lord. We invite you to do that. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Last week, we started a series we're calling Almost Heaven and kind of playing off of the West Virginia unofficial little nickname. But really what we're talking about, we're talking about the kingdom of God. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, as he was teaching about prayer, that our prayer should be, Father, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When we talk about prayer, you're talking about the desire of our our hearts, the cry of our heart. That's what it should be for a serious disciple. Father, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Later in that same chapter, Matthew chapter six, verse 33, it's when Jesus said to seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things would be added unto you that we're supposed to pursue the kingdom of God. So for serious believers, it's not just waiting around on earth until we get to go to heaven. That, that will happen eventually. But while we are here, we've got a job to do, not just waiting to go to heaven, but to work for heaven to be established, God's rule, God's reign, that what he wants done, like it is in heaven, like it would be done here on earth. People knowing Jesus, people following Jesus, people making decisions that honor Jesus. That, that's what's going on in heaven, that it would happen here here on earth as well. Now we are blessed that we get to live in the beautiful, wild, wonderful state of West Virginia. But if we're honest, as wonderful as West Virginia is, it's got its share of problems and there's lots of room for us to improve. In fact, if you start to look at statistics of state versus state, we fall at the top or the bottom, depending on how you think of it, in in almost every category that you'd want to look at. We lead the nation in divorce rate. We lead the nation in drug addiction. We lead the nation in kids being raised in foster care or other situations not being raised by, by their mom and dad. We lead the nation in people being unhealthy in their physical body. We lead the nation in people being unhealthy when it comes to their finances. Category after category, we are in bad shape. Now, we can look at those statistics and allow that to be something that's discouraging to us, or we could look at it with a better perspective and understand it should be encouraging to us because this is where God has planted you. It's where he's planted me for such a time as this. And if he's decided that we're the group of men and women he once planted in West Virginia, then he must view us as some kind of special forces, that he's put the giftings, the ability, the anointing inside of you and me to do something about what the enemy is doing to the people that live all around us. We're not here just to look at people and say, what a shame. We're here to make a difference. For people that are serious about what Jesus says to us, almost heaven is not just some nostalgic thought or a catchy tune. It's a mandate. It's a calling. It's an assignment that while we're here, we're working to establish and make this place as close to heaven as 
as possible. Almost heaven. His kingdom come. His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's the assignment. Every time we hear that slogan, that phrase, that song, it should stir something up on the inside of us. That's what I'm here for. To establish the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. One of the things we talked about last week was the desire that we have. That our desire must be for Jesus more than anything else. His kingdom has to come first. If it's not first, it's not enough for his kingdom to come really high on the list. It's got to come number one. And as much as you desire something, if you don't desire it more than the cost to acquire it, you'll never have it. It applies to things in the natural. There's things that you want, a new gun, new shoes, new purse, new car, whatever it happens to be. Uh, Take a trip someplace. Things that you really, man, I really want that gun. Man, I'd really like to go there. I'd really like to go on that cruise, whatever it is, but not at those prices, not at that cost. Well, as long as the cost is higher than your desire, then you'll, you'll never, you'll just admire it from afar. You'll just really want it. You'll never actually have it. But when your desire supersedes whatever the cost is, that, that's when you make purchases. That's when you get to experience things and lay your hands on those items and not just stare at them in your Amazon cart and wish that you could have them, Right? And the same thing holds true for us spiritually, that we can admire the things of God. Oh, I, I want to be a man of God. Oh, I want to be used to God. Oh, I'd love to be really close. Oh, I, I'd love to know the voice of God in a special way. Oh, I'd love to have a strong anointing operating in my life. Well, th- that's all great. But unless that desire is greater than the qua- cost associated with those things that you desire, it, it'll never happen in your life. There, there can't be a cost that's greater than our desire. Lord, I want you. I want you more than anything. I want to know your fellowship. I want to know your voice. I want to walk close with you, whatever the cost. If the cost of getting up early and and getting your nose in the word word of God is too high, if the cost of taking time to fast and pray or having a daily prayer time, and Lord, I really want you, but not not enough to carve out 20 minutes to listen for your voice, then, then you'll never have those things. We'll just be people that are fans of God instead of men and women. Men and women of God. Our desire has to be greatest for, for, the ki- for the kingdom of God, to seek it first. We, we want to see revival. I want to experience real, real revival. You want to experience revival. I, I want to help facilitate revival. I, I want us to be involved at leading revival and see it sweep through our community. That's the way revival does. It spills out of churches and into communities. But we said last week, it starts in the church. It starts with the people of God. It starts with people that serve Jesus, but their love has grown kind of mediocre. That They're pretty comfortable. Their, their walk with the Lord has plateaued. When their heart gets on fire for Jesus, they come back to their first love. There, there's a, a stir. Uh, an arising, an arousing of their passion for the kingdom of God. That's when you see revival. We want to see people come to know the Lord. We want to see a great harvest of souls. And I really believe that we are. We're going to see that God is going to use this church, you and I, to make major advances for the kingdom of God, to plunder hell and to advance his kingdom. I'm not just saying that. I really believe that. You know, our vision right now as a church is to grow to a thousand strong. That's just a goal, a point on the horizon that God has given us, something that we're aiming at and working for. But there's stuff beyond that. Someone just asked me the other day, hey, beyond a thousand strong, has God given you any vision? I didn't have to hesitate. Absolutely. Yes, there's things he's already begun to stir in my heart, things that are going to unfold in the months and in the years, years to come. We are going to go after the lost like never before. And it's going to be effective, harvesting of souls into the kingdom. I'm telling you, we're going to see people come to know the Lord like like never before. 
good point to announce that we're adding someone to our, our church staff. Many of you know David Lashak. David Lashak's part of our church family. Yeah. I haven't even told you what he's going to do yet. I could be announcing a puppet ministry. You don't know. Just maybe hold your applause till you hear the, you know, another puppet fan. David has gone to Bible school. He served at a, as a missionary for years in multiple countries. And so he's going to be coming on staff in the next couple of weeks. And he's going to help us with several different things. But his primary, time to wake up. His primary focus is going to be helping us reach the lost. He's going to be our outreach pastor, and he's going to do a great job. The Lord dealt with my heart yesterday. This, this is a serious time. It's a serious time. When things are serious, how you behave becomes amplified. It becomes magnified. Think of a, a sports game. When the game's on the line in the last couple of minutes, that, that's a serious time. So what you do, mistakes made in that time, good things done in that time, it, it becomes amplified. This is a serious time, the day that we live in, the, the hour that God has you and I on the earth, it's a serious time. That means when we make mistakes, they're serious mistakes. When we cause problems, they're, they're serious problems. But on the other side of that, when we decide we're gonna do good, we're gonna make impact, it's an opportunity for us to make serious serious impact for the kingdom of God. And that, that's what we're going to do. We're not going to wait around. We're not just going to sit back and, and watch things happen. We're going to allow God to use us to advance his kingdom, to get this place. So almost heaven is a, is a good description of the place that we live. When the Israelites went into, into the, the promised land, they were doing really good at first. They were, they were conquering people. They're taking ground literally for God's kingdom. But then they started to take their foot off the gas. Things, they, they got pretty comfortable. And in Joshua chapter 18, verse 3, it says this. Then Joshua said to the children of Israel, How long will you neglect to go and possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers has given you? They, they reached a point where people, people stopped advancing and were just content with the ground that they'd already made. And so he, he had to ask them a question. How long are you going to neglect to take the land that God has already given you? God giving them victory, God giving them possession was only, was only part of the equation. It took men and women that were willing to go and carry out the victory that God had already provided. In the New Living Translation, it says, how long will you wait? How long are you going to wait to go and take the land that God has given you? You know, it's, it's interesting that in one translation, that word is translated neglect. And in another translation, that same word is translated as wait. That when we are waiting for things to happen, as far as God's concerned, it's already done. It's the equivalent of neglecting. When we just wait for people to come to know the Lord, when we just wait for God's kingdom to advance, just kind of, we're just waiting around to see it happen. It's the equivalent of being neglectful of the things that God has put to our hand to do. That he's given us possession of the land, but it takes men and women that realize you have what it takes. You are anointed. You are gifted for such a time as this to carry out the victories that God has already, as far as he's concerned, the victories already ours. How long will we wait? We, we don't want to wait around. Amen. We want to see people come to know, come to know the Lord. But like we said last week, it starts, it starts in the house. It starts with 
with the church. One of the things we talked about last week was the environment that you bring people into. That when you want to bring people into an environment, you need to make sure that the environment that you're bringing them into is something that's gonna be good for them to be introduced into. There's a principle in the word of God that you become like the people that you are around. That's why in Proverbs it says, don't spend time with an angry man or you yourself will become angry. It says, he who walks with the wise will become wise. It's all, all, all through the Bible. One of the reasons our connect groups are so important. You need to spend time around people that you want to become more like. Well, we can understand that and its importance of bringing people in to the church. If we've got a bunch of lukewarm, mediocre, you know, we seek the kingdom of God, like number four on the list instead of first, you know what's going to happen? We're going to bring people in and they're going to become like us and they're going to be people that don't really seek the kingdom of God first and foremost. I'm, I'm not saying that that's where we are. I'm just saying as a principle, if we're lukewarm and we bring people, hey, you've got to come, we're compelling you to come into a lukewarm environment. It's just a matter of time until they become lukewarm as well. And then our, our efforts can actually end up doing more damage than good. Jesus had that conversation with the Pharisees. He said, you travel miles to make a convert, but then once you make a convert, you make him twice the son of hell that you are because they, they became religious like the Pharisees. So they, they were doing more damage by going out to heathens and getting them to convert, doing more damage than they, they were good. That we need to make sure that we, in the house, we are on fire for Jesus. That we really see, it's not just lip service, his kingdom first and foremost. It really is our prayer. It really is our cry. Father, your kingdom come. Your, whatever you want, let it be done on earth as it is in heaven. When you get a fire hot enough, you can't keep it from spreading. But, but when it's cold, it doesn't matter what you add to it. It's not, it's not going to do anything. You know, in our backyard, we've got a little, a little fire ring. I, I, love, I love to sit around the fire, build a fire at night, just sit there and stare into it, talk to my kids and, hey, let's go build a fire. They, 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 hey, what are we going to do? What do you mean, what are we going to do? We're staring into a fire. I mean, this is, this is what I want. This is it. I don't know if anyone else just likes to stare in, into a fire, but I do. And we've got a little fire ring. But if you, if you were to go to that little fire ring right now and start adding wood to it, I mean, it's, it's cold. We haven't had a fire in days. It rained. You could have the perfect kindling and start setting inside that fire ring. Nothing would happen. It, it wouldn't do anything. But on the other side, if you would build a fire in that fire ring, you, you could potentially build a fire so hot and so intense that you couldn't prevent it from spreading. It would start catching stuff on fire a foot away, five feet away. I just recently heard a story of a guy that was having a little fire in his backyard, and apparently it got burning too hot and out of control, and it ended up burning 20 homes down, burned down half, half the neighborhood. Now, this is where my analogy starts to break down, but that's what... Spiritually, that's what we want to see, amen? <laughs> Not looking to burn down houses, but we are wanting to see a fire burn so hot that you can't keep it from spreading, that it starts to spill out of the church, that people like Jeremiah, like a fire shut up in my bones, I can't keep quiet about it. That's not a, something you've got to strive and push and, and condemn people for not telling other people about Jesus. It just starts to spill out of them in the workplace. Little revivals going, going everywhere we go because we carry the fire of God that is burning on the inside of us. We want to build a fire. Yes, we want to reach the community, and we're going to, but in this series, these first few weeks, I feel to really focus on us as a church family to make sure our hearts are conducive to what God wants to do. And when we start seeing that harvest, we're bringing in an environment where you've got a bunch of people 
that genuinely love the Lord with all of our hearts. Luke chapter 14, verse 16, it says this. Then he said to him, a certain man gave a great supper and invited many and sent his servants at supper time to say to those who were invited, come for all things are now ready. Jesus gave this analogy of a banquet. The master of the banquet prepared everything. And then he sent invitations to tell people, come, everything's prepared. That there was time preparing that environment, preparing that banquet hall, preparing that table, and then sent to compel them to come in. When things were ready, there was preparation that first took place in the house. And that's what God has us, has us focusing on. You know, I mentioned Joshua a couple of minutes ago. They, they were literally taking ground for the kingdom of God, literally advancing the kingdom of God, taking new ground. But when you read through the story of Joshua, you can see a pattern develop of things that were precursors to victories and advancements as they, they were moving into the kingdom of God. Starting Joshua chapter three, verse five, as an example. And Joshua said to the people, sanctify yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Sanctify. They're getting ready to cross the Jordan River, getting to go into the promised land. It'd been over 400 years since the people of God were on that, on that land that God told Abraham it was gonna belong to his descendants. They're ready to cross that Jordan River and start putting their feet on the ground that God said belonged to them. And Joshua went to his people and said, hey, you need to sanctify yourself. It means consecrate, purify. It means to be holy. Why? Because of what's coming next, because of God, what God wants to do, we've got a responsibility to purify ourselves, to consecrate yourselves. That was a precursor to seeing the kingdom of God advance, the people of God move forward into new territory. A couple of chapters later, they cross the Jordan River. They're in the land. Now it's time to win their first victory on, against the cities that, that are in the land. It's time to go against Jericho. Before they go and win the battle against Jericho, we see that pattern continue. Joshua speaks to the people in Joshua chapter 5, and he says, you know what we need to do? We need to, we need to circumcise all of the men. And it goes on to explain that when they were in Egypt... That generation had been circumcised, but once they went into the wilderness, that whole generation hadn't been circumcised. So they needed to, to circumcise. It was a sign of the covenant, literally a cutting away of the flesh. They, they were marked. We, we're the people of God. We, we belong to God. We're in covenant relationship with him. We serve the most high God, and I, I'm marked with that covenant. And they did that before, before they saw a victory. So you can see a pattern developing before advancement, before a victory. There, there was a consecration. There was a, a, a purifying. There was a cutting away of the flesh, and then God began to to move. We have, we have a role to play in seeing a move of God. You know, revivals and moves of God aren't just random things, not just chance encounters. When we talk about experiencing a move of God, it's not just we sit back and hope that we're, you know, hope lightning will strike and just hope that we accidentally get to be a part of it. That there are steps to take. There are things that you and I are responsible to do. Charles Finney said that one of the most damaging, detrimental teachings in the church was when people talk about the sovereignty of God and make it uh, something we just completely rely on 
and neglect the role that you and I have to play. He said that if farmers subscribed to that same philosophy, just relying on the sovereignty of God, he said the world would starve to death. If, if a farmer said, well, if it, I mean, God's sovereign. If he wants there to be corn in this field, there'll be corn. If he wants this to be beans, then he'll, he'll move on this field and there will be, there will be beans because he, he's, he's sovereign. No, a farmer, a good farmer anyway, knows that there are steps that he can take, that he can till that soil. He can fertilize that field. He, if he wants corn, he can plant corn. He can make sure that the, the soil is irrigated and watered and, and whatever else needs to take place, and he can see a harvest. And when he's taking those steps, he's not working against the sovereignty of God. He's actually cooperating with the sovereignty of God who has set things up to work a certain way. Same thing carries over to us as a people of God. We just don't want to sit back and wait and see if there's a move of God. God has given us, there, there's a parallel over and over again. Jesus uses these agricultural analogies, not just because it was an agricultural cultural society, but because there really is a parallel with how things work in the natural and how things work spiritually. Even the parable of the sower goes out and sows the seeds and it falls on different kinds of soil. He said it's, it's the same way with the word of God. If you want to see a harvest, you don't just sit back. There's something you and I can do to see a harvest. There's something we can do to see a move of God. All through the Bible, God responds to us that he's already done what he can do. Now he's waiting for people to cry out and desire. Read, read through the book of Judges. Over and over again, people fall into wickedness, but when they begin to cry out to God, God, God would respond over and over and over again, and our situation isn't much different. It's when we get hungry and we desire when we really set our, our hearts, Lord, I've got to have you. I've got to have a move of your spirit. I've got to experience the realities of your kingdom. Do whatever you want to do in me. God responds to us. That's why the Bible's filled with verses like, call to me and I will answer. Humble yourself and I will lift you up. There, there's a cooperation that takes place. It's not just in the sovereignty of God because in his sovereignty, he set it up for you to play a role. For me, I've got a part to play. If my people, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, pray, turn from their wicked ways, seek my face, then I, God responds to us. And so this morning, I, I want to take time as a church and break up fallow ground to take those early stages. Lord, we want to see a move. And there's steps that we can follow. So we're going to take time to break up fallow ground. Hosea chapter 10, verse 12 says, sow for yourselves righteousness reap in mercy, break up your fallow ground, for it is time, it's time to seek the Lord till he comes and rains righteousness on you. One consistent precursor to moves of God is repentance. Over and over, and see with, with Joshua, those two examples, before a move of God, before a victory, sanctify yourself, purify yourself, cut away the flesh, mark yourself with a covenant, recommit yourself, examine yourself. You read through the book of Acts over and over again with people, what, what, what must I do to be saved? You need to repent. What do I need to do to have the power of the Holy Spirit working in my life? You need to repent. Repentance over and over again was a precursor to the move of God. Father, not what I want, what you want. Turning from my own ways, that's what repentance is. And what, Lord, I'm gonna walk according to your ways. 
John chapter two, the first miracle that Jesus performed, Mary told the servants, do whatever he tells you to do, to see a miracle, to see a move of God, not what I want to do. What does he want me to do when I submit myself? Lord, I'm yielded. I'm hungry. Speak into this, speak into my heart, speak into my situation. I've got to break up fallow ground, start rejecting my own ways, my, my own selfishness. We're going to take time to do that this morning as a church family. Psalm 45, verse 7 says, You love righteousness and hate wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. You love righteousness and hate wickedness. Therefore, because of something that was going on in this person's heart, there was a response from God. Now, in the book of Hebrews, this passage is applied to Jesus. He loved righteousness, hated wickedness, Therefore, God anointed him more than his companions or more, more than his brothers. But from that passage, you can see a principle that you and I can apply to our lives. There is a correlation between our love for righteousness, our hatred for wickedness, and the anointing that we carry in our lives. I, I, I want to be anointed. I want that anointing to increase in my life. Well, there's a correlation. I need to love righteousness and I need to hate wickedness. You know, sometimes even when people refrain themselves from wickedness, I, I, I stop sinning. They might have stopped sinning, but they haven't fallen out of love with that sin. Sometimes the way people talk about sin that they used to do, you can tell they, they're still in love with that sin. Man, it's been 14 years, two months, 35 days, and seven hours since I last fill in the blank. Man, if I knew I could get away with it. I mean, they, they talk longingly about their sin. It's great that they're no longer participating, but that's only part of it. I, we've got to fall in love with righteousness and hate, hate wickedness. I, I don't want to be a dry, cold Christian that I'm, I'm, I'm walking in quote unquote holiness, but it's out of a, a sense of obligation. It's just a drudgery. And certain, I want the anointing of the Holy Spirit in my life. I, I want it to increase. I want that as a church. I want this corporately not to be some cold, stale environment. I want us to have a strong corporate anointing where there's a correspondence. If we can develop a genuine, I love righteousness. What he loves, I love. And what he hates, I've decided I'm going to hate it too. You know, just the other day, someone came up to me just recently, recently saved. After service, they came up and said, you know what? It's different here. It's different. When I'm here, I can feel the presence of God. I can feel him. I felt, I felt like he was hugging me a minute ago. I can feel it. I mean, I love, I've cried just talking about, it. I love, I love that testimony. I love hearing that. I want that to increase. I don't want it to be two years before I hear it. I want that to be every time someone new comes in, man, it was, I, God is real. I felt his love. I felt his power. I felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit. That, that, listen, we, we can clap. It's not enough just to clap. Man, that would be great. Sure. That sure would be something fantastic. You play a role in it. I play a role in it. If we love righteousness and hate wickedness, therefore God has anointed you more than your companions. That, that's available to us. If we'll fall more and more in love with Jesus and learn to hate sin and see it for what it is. You know, the Bible says that God, it doesn't tempt people with sin, nor can he be tempted with sin. It's, it's, it's not tempting to him. Because he sees it for what it really is. The, the wages of sin, it's death. It's destruction. It's separation from God. And so I want to take time this morning and invite the conviction of the Holy Spirit. So invite the conviction of the Holy Spirit to come and deal with our hearts. Conviction, not condemnation. Conviction of the Holy Spirit, you fall out of love with sin 
because you're falling deeper in love with Jesus. And you, you give up sin because you realize, man, that's going to keep me from Jesus. Man, I just love Jesus way too much to mess around with this nonsense. Like we sang just a few minutes ago. Turn your eyes upon Jesus and the things of this world, they, they go, it, and it's strange how it happens sometimes. Things that I used to live for, I don't, I don't want anything to do with it anymore. Because I've turned my eyes on Jesus. You know, when, when Beth and I started dating, I, I had recently rededicated my, my life to the Lord. It was very much a work in progress. Still am a work in progress. A lot of things I, I had given up, but smoking was something that it was, I, I let linger in my life probably for a little bit longer than, than I should have. Uh, some of the other sins I'd stopped, but smoking, maybe because it was uh, less distasteful, less shameful, also because it was less illegal than some of the other things that, uh, that I, was, I was doing. It was easy for me to justify allowing that just to be something that lingered in my life. When I started dating Beth, she, she wasn't impressed with those sort of things. She, she, she's always just been like, on the straight and narrow, a good girl. So I can remember one time we went out to a, a little diner in Springfield, Missouri, the, the Route, Route 66 diner. It was late at night, got a cup of coffee, pulled out cigarettes, lit one up. I mean, she, she was not impressed. She looked at me like I was an idiot. There was no being cool with it. It was just like, what an idiot. You know, just, just not impressed. Well, as, as we continued to date, I realized that she didn't want someone that was engaged in those things. And it was possible that that behavior was going to keep me from advancing in a relationship with her. And the more I liked her, the more I was attracted to her, as I fell in love with her, it was easy for me to give those things up. Once I realized, man, cigarette, if cigarettes were going to keep me from a relationship with this woman, you, you can have your cigarettes. As my love for one grew, it was easy for my attraction to the other to diminish. That makes sense? That's what, that's what the conviction of the Holy Spirit does in a person's life. It doesn't condemn you and just shame you for the things that you've done. It stirs up a fresh love. It helps you to, to see, oh my goodness, this thing was keeping me from the sweet presence of God, the things that God has for me, and they grow strangely dim as my love for Jesus intensifies. Psalm 139, verse 23. David says this, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties and see if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. D David, a man after God's own heart, had times where he would come before the Lord and pray like this. God, would you come and search me? Would you come and try me and see if there is any wicked way in me? Come and say, Lord, is there, is there anything wicked? Is there anything unpleasing in you? I want to be led in your way. I want to follow your leading. I want to walk in everlasting ways. So come and search me. I, I want to take time for us to do that this morning. So invite, invite the Lord, come and search me. Come and search me and know me. If there's anything displeasing to you, would you reveal it? In fact, just take a moment, just close your eyes right now. Would you invite the conviction of the Holy Spirit? Just Holy Spirit, would you come and deal with my heart? As genuine as you know how, invite the Holy Spirit to deal with your heart. You know, there's always people in services like this that are just sitting here. They're just present. They're not really engaged. They're just waiting for this thing to be dismissed and they can get on to the next thing. If you, as best as you know how, could not be that kind of person right now, 
if you could position yourself for something to happen in your life this morning and just, just tell the Holy Spirit right now, Holy Spirit, would you come? I invite the conviction of the Holy Spirit to come and deal with my heart. Lord, if there's something that's unpleased, if there's something that's snagging me up, something that's keeping me from what you have for me, something that's keeping me from being led in your way, deal with me this morning. Conviction of the Holy Spirit, would you come and deal with our hearts? Holy Spirit, come and speak to us. Let your conviction grow stronger. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Listen, I, I want to take just a couple of minutes. I'm just going to run through a list of sins. Maybe take a moment with a couple of them. We're just going to stay sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Just continue to invite the Holy Spirit. Come and search me. And I'm just going to, I'm not going to list every sin, obviously. I'm just going to stir, give the Holy Spirit something to work with. Maybe it's something else that the Lord will begin to deal with your heart. But I'm just going to run through some potential things that we might need to repent of. That maybe, maybe we're not even aware of. We'll give the Holy Spirit an opportunity to deal with this. The first one I'm going to take a little bit longer with because, because it's so dangerous and so damaging and can, can operate in a church undetected. It's very sneaky. It slips in and people that are operating in that sin most often don't even realize, they're not even aware that they've fallen prey to this sin. And it's a sin that of all the things Jesus dealt with, when he dealt with people that were caught up in adultery and fornication, tax collectors, all, all kinds of things. But there's no other sin that he railed against like this one. It's, it's a spirit of religion. When people allow a spirit of religion to begin to operate, in their lives. And some of the ways to know, and listen, it's so sneaky that everyone in this room probably like, that's not me. Well, the, the problem is it, it works in people's lives and convinces them that they're more spiritual than other people. That's what the Pharisees were dealing with. They, they thought they were the, the most supreme spiritual voice and it caused them to reject and eventually kill Jesus himself because they were more spiritual and knew better. The whole time they thought they were doing a work of God when they were being used by the enemy. So even if, I know that's not me, would you consider the possibility that maybe there's a spirit of religion operating in your life? Here's some of the things you, you might notice. Being judgmental, being critical, always looking down, having something to say about how it could be done better. You know, what if they do this differently? You, you, you are an expert when it comes to spiritual things. People who have a spirit of religion will posture and pose. They are the most spiritual. Listen to what it says. Jesus talking about this in Matthew chapter 11, verse 16. It says, to what can I compare this generation? It is like children playing a game in the public square. They complain to their friends. We played wedding songs and you didn't dance. So we played funeral songs and you didn't mourn. For John didn't spend his time eating and drinking and you say he's possessed by a demon. The son of man, on the other hand, feasts and drinks and you say he's a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and other sinners. It's talking about a, a spirit of religion that it was unpleasable. It's all, always found something to, to criticize. We, 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 we played wedding songs. You didn't like that. We played funeral songs. It's just, it's always unpleasable. So if you find yourself being, being critical, it's, it's never spiritual enough. 
It's never satisfying. But maybe, maybe you've allowed this to creep in. And listen, Jesus, Jesus warned his disciples. Jesus wasn't a proponent of any sin. Obviously, he wants everyone to walk in holiness. But when he dealt with his disciples, I, a woman caught in adultery, I don't ever remember him specifically calling out a sin and say, hey, boys, disciples, you better watch these women. Stay away from the women. Stay away from... But when it came to this, it would, it would be almost like randomly, just in a boat crossing the lake. Hey, guys, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees. It, it, it would be so random that it would sometimes throw the disciples into confusion. Is he talking about bread? Is he, talk, he, is he want something to eat? Is he upset that we didn't bring anything? He, he was giving them a warning. Beware of the yeast of the Pharisees. So I, I'm not trying to stir up a judgmental attitude, but there is a warning. Beware of the yeast. It's contagious. It sneaks in. If you're talking to someone who's operating that, that critical, always looking down their nose, superior spirituality, beware. Back, beware of the yeast. It, it, it starts to spread and it affects people. Beware of the yeast of the Pharisees. And I'm not saying that as a church, as leadership, as whatever, that we're above reproach, that we've got it all figured out. I'll be the first to admit we've got tons of room to grow and to learn and to develop. Sometimes things are messy. Sometimes things are out of order. But there's a verse that I comfort myself with in Proverbs chapter 14, verse 4. It says, without oxen, a stable stays clean, but you need a strong ox for a large harvest. You can keep things nice where there's nothing to criticize. Everything is neat and tidy and in order. But if you're serious about bringing in a large harvest, you need an ox. Things are going to get messy. And we're serious about bringing in a large harvest. We're serious about advancing the kingdom of God. So sometimes things are going to get messy. And when you see things that it would be easy to criticize, maybe just chalk it up to they're trying to bring in a harvest. That's why it's messy. That's why it doesn't meet your standard that we're trying. So one thing to examine a heart, God, if I allow a religious spirit, if I become just a, a criticizer, a spiritual know-it-all, I'm an expert always poking holes in what other people are trying to do to advance the kingdom. It never quite measures up to, to what you think things should be like. If so, you need to repent. And all of us, myself included, need to come before the Lord and say, Lord, search me. I don't want that yeast spreading in my life, keeping me from what you had, that same sin that would cause someone to reject Jesus himself and posture like you're doing it for the sake of God. I don't want that thing operating in my life. Next, for us to examine ourselves, has there been a lack of love in our lives, a lack of love for others? Are we selfish? Are we greedy? Are we just worried about ourselves or, or do we really love others like Christ loves us? Has there been a lack of love, a lack of concern for the lost? How many days can you go without even giving a thought to the lost, let, let alone really praying for the lost? How many days can you go? Can you go a, a week? Man, I haven't even thought about the lost. I haven't, I haven't even given a care, let alone really spent time petitioning and interceding for lost people to come to know the Lord. As, as, as a church, we should operate in our community like firemen that our job is to not allow people to burn. And when we hear an alarm, we need to respond. The problem is that the church allows itself to fall asleep. Think about a firehouse, a group of firemen, that when the alarm goes off, they decide to sleep through the alarm because they're really cozy, they're really comfortable, it's cold out, it's warm under the covers. And when they go to defend themselves, they explain the reason we didn't respond to the alarm, the reason that family got burned up 
But we, we just needed the sleep, guys. Honestly, we were just sleeping so sound. I had had a dream. I heard the alarm. I wanted to see if I could get back into that dream. You wouldn't excuse that. That would be unacceptable. How much more so for the, the people of God who've been given an assignment to make sure that people don't go and burn forever in the, in the flames of hell, that if we allow ourselves to become so comfortable and complacent and asleep, we need to wake ourselves up and respond when we hear alarms and become aware of alarms that are sounding all around us. You realize that there's alarms, something signifying someone's in danger of the fires of hell. It's happening all around us. There's all kinds of, you, you are well aware of the fact. You see things every day all around you. As you drive through our community, you, there, there are alarms sounding. People are in danger of going to hell, but we allow ourselves just to drive right through town, overhear that conversation, and we're sleeping on the inside. We, we need to repent of that. You know, when, when Tim Hall was here, he said, may these carpets be wet with the tears of God's people, weeping for the lost. May these carpets be wet with the tears of God's people, weeping for the lost, that we would intercede. God, there's people that don't know you. Father, I, I can do something about it. Lead me, guide me, give me boldness, give me zeal. Father, let people come to know you. Let your conviction fall on the hearts of people. Let that fire burn that we pray. God, set my heart on fire for souls. Let my heart burn white hot to see people come to know you. Like a, like a good fireman responding to the alarm. A lack of love for others, a lack of love for the lost. You see people growing cold, drifting, drifting away from the Lord, and you don't do anything about it. Have you not loved God the way that you should? That you don't spend time in his presence, you don't spend time seeking him. Or when you do spend time in the word, it's just to say that you did it. And it's not really because you really are hungry for God. Are you loving God the way that you should? When you do spend time in the word of God, could somebody ask you 15 minutes later what you read? and you have no idea what you read, you have so little regard for the word of God, when you spend time praying, is it difficult for you to carve out time? How is your love for the Lord? Again, I'm just trying to hit some things that maybe we need to repent of. Just continue to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Maybe in gratitude, are you thankful? The Bible commands us to be thankful. Consider the ways God's blessed you. Have you just become ungrateful for the way that God has kept his hand on you? Is there any level of genuine sacrifice in your life when it comes to the kingdom of God? Maybe even if you give, are you giving just stuff that you don't need? Is there anything that you deny yourself for the sake of the kingdom, like we read from Luke 18 earlier? A purchase you could have made, but you wanted to give to the kingdom. A use of your time, not, not just the extras, not just the, what, what I didn't need anyway, genuine sacrifice for the sake of the kingdom. Do you neglect family duties, family responsibilities? Husbands, are we really loving our wives like Christ loved the church and gave himself for her? This stuff matters. It's real. If we're not doing it, we need to repent because the Bible instructs us that's the way we're supposed to love our wives. And it affects things in the kingdom. And the and in Peter's letter, he said that if husbands don't treat their wives right, it hinders their prayers from being answered. These things matter. Are we loving our wives? Wives, do you submit to your husband and honor him the way that the church is supposed to be subject to Christ? Children, do you honor your moms and dads, obeying them, showing them reverence because it's the first commandment with a promise that life would go well with you and you'd live a long time on the earth? Parents, are we training our children up in the in the training and admonition of the Lord so that when they're old, they won't depart from it? Are we exasperating, frustrating our children? Or are we training them to be men and women, men and women of God? Is there pride in our lives? Are we proud? Are you vain? Vanity is a form of pride. 
When you came to church this morning, did you spend more time preparing the way that you looked than you did preparing your heart to worship, preparing your heart to receive from the Lord? Did you spend more time preparing to get attention rather than give attention, to be adored rather than to do the adoring? It's vanity. And I, I know we can validate that because, hey, I wanted to come, I wanted to look nice and give my best to the Lord. There's, that can be valid. But if it's really for the Lord, when you watch church online, do you do that? If it's really for him? Or is it vanity? Just, I, just want, I just want people to notice me. These are things that we need to repent of. It's sin. Are you materialistic, worldly? Is there envy, jealousy? Do you dwell on people's faults rather than their strengths, bitterness, envy, unforgiveness? Do you talk about people instead of going to them? Like Jesus said in Matthew chapter 18, dishonesty, lying. Is there hypocrisy? Do you confess sins to the Lord that you really had zero intention of changing your way? Anger, short temper, lust, sexual sins, immoralities, things that you look at that you shouldn't look at. I'm just trying to stir the pot and allow the, the conviction of the Holy Spirit to deal with our hearts. And hopefully, hopefully there's men and women here who say, Lord, come and search me genuine and we would respond. Lord, let, let the fire of the Holy Spirit come and burn these things out of my life that we would be a people. You know, that was the word given over us as a church. That God wants this church to be an example of what it looks like when there is a people 100% committed to touching God, to being used by God. Well, that's this week's message. Thanks for joining us. To stay connected with us throughout the week, make sure you follow us on Instagram and Facebook. You can also watch previous week's services on our YouTube page.